place is just wild. Bruce, what an ovation. Fantastic. These fans are the greatest in the world, Ed, and uh, next week I'm going to do everything in my power to bring them a world championship right to Calgary. I thought maybe tonight as an aside, and I know I shouldn't introduce anything in this moment of yours, but you had a better chance when I saw who the referee was. Yeah, I thought my things were looking up for me when I saw that Andy Scott was not in there. Sure wasn't easy by any means, but I thought that gave me a fighting chance. Now well, tell me something, what do you know about this Dick Steinborn? He's a veteran, he knows all the moves, he's smart. Yeah, I hear he's a heck of a scientific wrestler, and to be a world champion, he's got to be a great wrestler. He didn't expect to meet you. He told me at the beginning of the show, there's no doubt in his mind it would be Dynamite Kid. Yeah, I've always been an underdog and a dark horse, but tonight I came to Einborn for a minute. And away we go with another edition of the Stampede Wrestling Show. Let me tell you good people something, and you beer belly sharecroppers out there. goes batting down the hatches and lock the door. It is indeed wrestling time once more. Pretty obvious. He just wanted to avoid the sting of a pinfall. Right? Obviously, he was running for me all night. I think I showed that I not only out-wrestled him, but I made a fool out of both him and his dad. And uh, actually, you don't need to make a fool out of him. They make fools of themselves. But he, obviously, he was trying to save himself the loss by a pinfall, so he, they'd rather get disqualified. Anybody that you're aiming at at the present time beyond Foley? Well, it seems like every time I aim at somebody, they disappear. Like Gamma Singh, I would love to dearly to get my hands on him, but he's uh, he interfered last week, and with a big crackdown in the officiating now, they just sent him on his way. So I think that's a good sign of wrestling in the future, with strict referee and give us a chance to wrestle and do less street fighting. Okay. Thank Wrestling fans, welcome back to the Ring-A-Ding-Dong-Dandy podcast for another month. We've got a humdinger today. We've got a very special guest from Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, she's a super fan over the years, Rachel Ling. The audio we heard at the start of the podcast was Bruce Hart giving an interview in 1979 around the time of his famous Dick Steinborn angle that also involved Dynamite Kid. The uh, second piece of audio you heard was Keith Hart from the early 80s after he was in a bit of a feud with Great Gamma Singh. Those are two of the favorites of our guest, Rachel Ling, and you'll hear about her close associations with Stampede Wrestling and the Hart family here today. In particular, you're going to hear a very heartfelt letter that Owen Hart penned while he was living in Japan at the time that Rachel's going to share with us. 
So get ready for our great podcast. General CJ is joining me today as a co-host, and I'd like you to please take a good listen to Rachel Ling. You can check her out on Facebook and also at the Ring-A-Ding-Dong-Dandy podcast Facebook page where she uploads a lot of her classic photographs of Stampede Wrestling and some of her body press programs, etc. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello wrestling fans and welcome to the Ring-A-Ding-Dong-Dandy podcast yet again. We've got a special treat for you today. We've got a female fan from Regina, Saskatchewan who's got a lot of history with the Hearts and Stampede Wrestling. My co-host for today again is General CJ. How are you doing, General CJ? Well, I'm doing really good, sir. How about you? I've been doing okay. Things are holding up well in mid-Alberta. Oh, yeah, it's uh, sunny, but it's been windy the last few days here. I don't know why. The weather patterns are really, really different this spring. Well, we've got the uh, coast and the prairies represented today, and from the prairies is going to be Rachel Ling. She's joining us from Regina. Rachel, are you there? I sure am. Good morning. Good morning. How are things in Regina today? Oh, it's beautiful and sunny, a little bit on the cooler side. I think it's still... About zero or minus one, but uh, yeah, the sun is shining. Couldn't ask for much better, I guess. One of the sunniest places in Canada, only behind Medicine Hat, I think, if I remember right. Exactly. I think Estevan is the sunniest city throughout Canada. They've got the most hours of sunshine. Now, our podcast is dedicated to Stampede Wrestling, and Rachel has a long history of being a huge Stampede Wrestling super fan. So let's start off by finding out about that how did you first fall in love with Stampede Wrestling? How did that occur for you? Um, well, I had two dads, and so my the dad that I'd go spend my weekends with was a huge, huge wrestling fan to his dying days. So anytime I'd go spend the weekend with him, Saturday afternoons, we'd be watching Stampede Wrestling and uh, the Hearts, and uh, he trained me quite well to to enjoy Stampede Wrestling and and all its glory, I guess. Yeah. Did he take you to your first live event? No, actually, um, because we lived about two and a half hours from Regina. We didn't have real access to wrestling, to live shows. Um, and during my childhood, if we'd ever come to Regina, because I did have a sister living here, um, I was always too young to go and he'd always tell me that you know you had to be able to run fast because they chase you around the ring and that type of thing so I didn't go to my first show until um, 1981 actually it was early August I was uh, visiting two of my sisters over the summer and they took me to to my first shows two of them two weeks in a row so that was pretty exciting was that in Saskatchewan or was that in Alberta for your very first show that was in Edmonton actually Edmonton was that the yep. uh, sales arena that you would have been at you know what I don't recall because the arena had no importance to me at that time it was I was going to Stampede Wrestling and I was just so excited to finally see these larger than life superstars live so I imagine it probably was if that's where they were running early 1980 Curtis is that where they would have been running in about 1981 General uh, CJ? Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, they were running in Edmonton around that time. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a history of uh, Stampede in Edmonton, for sure. Uh, 
I've seen a few things online. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to the 50s, that's kind of where Stu first started was Edmonton. That was his home base at first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you were at that first show in 1981, what do you remember? Probably what I remember the most is I was, right from the get-go, I was a loud mouth fan and cheering and jeering. And uh, J.R. Foley was just getting under my skin, of course, doing all his cheating and whatever with his guys. And I, I was probably second or third row. And I was just yelling like crazy at him. And he finally was fed up with me. He turned around, pointed at me, looked at me straight in the eyes and just yelled, shut up. And then he threw a gum wrapper and hit me in the head. So that was probably one of my first memories. And um, it was also the first time I met a very young Owen Hart. I was able, you know, other fans were going for his autograph. He had never been on TV in 1981. He was just a youngster, probably about 14 or so years old. And I got to meet him. So I have his autograph on that program because I still have those. And I got to see so many of my, my favorites, Bruce Hart, for the first time. Um, yeah, so it was very exciting for, for a young girl. Owen must have been very young around that time. He would have been maybe 15, 16? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Owen's the same age as I am, so yeah. He was born in 65. So yeah, he would have probably been about 16. I was 14 at my first show, so yeah, he would have been 16. I recently saw one of Owen's very first matches from 1984 in England. Nice. It was amazing. He was incredibly acrobatic. He had all of his skills down at that point. He was obviously very well trained. Oh, definitely. You know, he, he grew up with it. How could he not be? And when he started with Stampede Wrestling, it seemed like he had already been in the ring for for a long time. He was quite seasoned already. So here's a question for both of you. Somebody recently told me that he wrestled under a mask on the stampede circuit for periods of time when he was still kind of a late teenager. I I don't know about this. I don't have any records of it. I've never seen any pictures, any results about that. Do either of you know about that? Um, uh, Actually, uh, on one of uh, Jericho's podcasts when he had uh, Owen's widow, uh, Martha, on there, she mentioned something about Owen being under the hood. Yeah, and I've never heard anything about it. Yeah, so it's a little bit mysterious. I'd like to know more about that if any of our uh, listeners out there know about Owen under the hood in Stampede. No, I'll definitely inquire. I'll, I'll probably talk to Ross maybe later today, and I'll have to ask him about that. Now, when you first watched your episodes of Stampede Wrestling on TV, you must have some memories that come back to you from that very first episode. What was it for you that kind of put you over the top and made you a super fan? You know, it was more, at first, my favorite was Keith Hart. And uh, not long after, Bruce Hart came was on the show. And from then on, he was my favorite. But as far as remembering that show, that very first time, it just... You know, it was just normal for me to be watching wrestling with my dad. So it wasn't all of a sudden, hey, we're going to sit down and do this, where it had a huge impact on me. It's just something that I did and I fell in love with. And and so I, as far as a recollection of that first show, I don't have it. But, you know, my, my love of Stampede Wrestling and the hearts has never wavered over the years. What was it about Keith that drew you to him? I don't know. I think he was just, uh, you know, 
a very skilled wrestler, a very handsome man too. <laughs> you know, uh, when you're seven, eight years old, starting to watch, there's, you know, I don't think it's the technical part about wrestling. I think it's just like, wow, these big bullies are trying to hurt the person that you like and you just get emotionally involved. Like, you know, let's not let them do that. And of course, for many, many years, I believed that everything that was happening in that ring was was real. So emotionally, we were invested. My my dad absolutely loathed the heels, and I loved the the baby faces just like he did. So we really bonded over over the wrestling, and and that's what it was. It was you know the the bad guys trying to beat up our favorite baby faces. So I think it was just the, the whole emotional thing that it just drew us in. I'm sure General CJ, as a as a heel manager, would be upset at that because some people love to cheer <laughs> for the heels, of course. But you were always for the faces all the time through your through your fandom. Always, always. I don't know if there's really ever been a time where I've cheered for the the heels. You know, in my not older age here, because I'm only in my mid fifties. But in the last, uh, let's say, ten years, fifteen, twenty years. I've, of course, I've worked a little bit with wrestling companies with stamp, the new Stampede Wrestling. So I got to know a lot of the heels and the faces and uh, personally, and it gives a whole different perspective as, you know, these are all human beings and who they are in the ring. It's a, it's a character they're playing. So it's been very different and I have a different appreciation for them now the heels than I did before because when you're emotionally invested it's very different than when you know them personally and that it's a role that they're playing so so I I have great appreciation for the heels because this, certainly they know how to play up the crowd they know how to do their job very very well people don't realize that the uh, heels are the conductors exactly and and to to have a beautiful dance in that ring, there has to be a really strong heel. They have to know how to portray that what they're they're trying to get across. And yeah, it's they're amazing. You know, they need to know what they're doing. And for me, when I was younger, watching Stampede Wrestling, I did start out when I was really young with the faces. I one of my favorites was Patty Ryan, and uh, against. He, he used to feud with uh, Gil Hayes and all those guys. And I also liked Dan Crawford. And then as I got older, I kind of went the other direction. I went towards more for the heels. Mm-hmm. They were more exciting. And then, as you know, my wrestling persona is General CJ. Well, that's based on your favorite manager, General John Foley. Yeah. And that's what I... That, that's where my character is based on, and and I come out, I come out with the army helmet, but I did not make a Hitler mustache. That was the only thing I wouldn't do that. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad you drew the line on that one. <laughs> yeah. So Rachel, I know you've been around the circuit. You've been to Edmonton, Calgary, uh, but your home base, I think, was largely around Regina. Did you yes. have any kind of favorite matches or favorite angles through all these Stampede Wrestling tours through Regina? 
you know, probably the the one I would remember the most because, again, uh, focused on Bruce Hart, who's been my favorite throughout the years, that has never wavered, is when uh, Abdullah the Butcher had come in. And, you know, first of all, Abdullah, I had seen him in the lobby and I had gone up to him to ask him for a for an autograph, because I'm also an autograph collector, not only of wrestling, but of any sport, anyone who's who has a name. And he just grunted at me, and I turned around and went the other way. However, later on, all of a sudden, there is Abdullah the Butcher in the ring with Bruce, and the fork comes out, and Bruce is all bloodied, and of course, I'm in tears, because I figured that night, would be Bruce's last night in the ring because he was going to be killed by Abdullah. And, you know, something like that, again, it's such an emotional investment, especially when, you know, at that time I still believed. And I never hung around with the the wrestlers away from the ring um, for for the most part. Owen, that was a different story. I I developed a, a pretty strong friendship with him. But I think it has to be when Abdullah came in town. I think I only saw him a couple of times here, possibly even only once. I did see him in in Quebec also, but it's, of course, when he was against Bruce that it really left an impression on me. Um, Yeah, so that would probably be my greatest memory of Stampede Wrestling here. How about Tom McGee? You know, I remember Tom. I have I photographed him, I got his yeah. autograph, whatever, but he never left much of an impression except for his, you know, he was the world's strongest man at the time, same as Bill Kazmaier when he came in. So for them, it was just all of a sudden you have a a physical specimen, you know, guys who who are very, very strong. But I don't remember him being really great in the ring. A lot of those guys, if the more muscle they have, the less flexibility a lot of times. And, you know, it's just a different type of wrestling. While I preferred the high-flying wrestling like Bruce would do, or even, you know, when you look at Kerry Brown and Duke Myers, who who had their managers or that they weren't the physical specimens that Tom McGee and Kazmaier were, but they had their signature, which was cheating or you know duke myers it was the coal miners glove and so i still preferred that than the big muscular guys yeah out of out of those three guys uh those strong men mcgee kazmaier and rcd rcd was by far the the more talented wrestler but but i can say those guys they weren't really that great in the ring at all they weren't they didn't have the showmanship no, no, they definitely weren't. And, you know, I think from what I've always heard, Stu really liked the the bigger guys. and and uh, But they they just didn't have the same pizzazz that the, the high flyers and the lighter guys, the smaller guys had. And, you know, we saw that turning around when Dynamite Kid came into the scene, onto the scene. And even Davey was smaller when he came in. And those were the guys I enjoyed seeing because they could really fly and they could move. Seriously, in my opinion, I don't think Stu knew how to book the heels until he got Bruce booking. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong on that. 
Yeah, well, I think Bruce saw something very different in the wrestling and how it should be run. And, and no matter how much people like or dislike Bruce, he was a mastermind behind a lot of what went on, the positive things. You know, of course, there's a lot of things people may not have liked, but I think he def- definitely knew how to develop talent and and set things up to make it look good. Yeah, Stu, Stu had can develop the talent, but he just couldn't book. I don't think he could book the heels as well as the face. Mm-hmm. Not like Bruce. No. Um, and demand. He, he could do both. Yeah. So. I completely agree. I think I agree they were hit and miss times. In the 70s, though, he did a good job with Stomper. He did a good job with Abdul in the 70s, because that would have been all Stu in the 70s. Yeah, and if- that, yeah, that was a little bit before my time of watching. You know, I did start watching during that time, but I didn't, I don't remember a lot of the, the older names and to watching them. Mm-hmm. See, when, when, when you look back, like you say, on the 70s there, when when Crawford came in and invented the uh, ladder match, he kind of, he had to kind of give the idea to Stu. Stu didn't really know what to do with it. And, you know, and Crawford said, well, you know, hang the money up and and then we'll eventually throw it into the crowd type thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. And then later on, Dan did the same thing. I was at that one when in 85 or 86 when Dan threw all the money in the pavilion. That was so hilarious. And then a few years later, he uh, showed up, him and Keith Hart showed up to a uh, book signing for Vance Nevada in Calgary. And uh, I said to him, I said, do you remember when you threw the money in the crowd? And he goes, yeah. And he says, that was a lot of fun. And I said, boy, I was there. I said, and that, that had something to do with Tom McGee too. They they were gonna uh they were gonna turn on him and uh the, the heels were gonna turn on McGee or something like that. So okay. yeah, that was a good memory of the uh, of something back in the seventies for that time. Now Rachel, you must have travelled around Saskatchewan a little bit. Do you have I any did. good stories about going to any of those areas that are kind of in the vicinity of Regina? Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, I went to shows in Carnduff, Nipawin, um, one in particular that was a lot of fun because this was mid-80s. I moved to Regina in 85, and shortly after that, I met Owen Hart, actually. It was a, a show, um, an out-of-town show that I saw him the first time. But probably, well, a few months later, he was traveling to a show with me. I thought we were going, well, it was a show in Capel, but I thought, Fort Capel and Capel was the same thing. You know, I was new to Regina. I didn't know the area very well. And and as we were driving there, all of a sudden we're getting close to Fort Capel. And Owen says, well, we're going to Capel. And we realized that we had passed the turnoff by quite a ways. And by this time, he knew that he'd be late for the show, uh, which I do believe they were fined if they were late. Um so I, I said, you know what, Owen, if you want to drive, you can drive as fast as you want. And so he got behind the wheel. And that's when I found out my little Ford Temple could go 96 miles per hour. 
Well, we did make it to the show with probably about five minutes to spare. He grabbed his bag, ran in, and and uh, at least he, he got there on time. But, yeah, that was one show that I, I didn't forget the drive there. I, I can't say I remember the show really well, but, but that was one of my out-of-town shenanigans, I guess, that I just about made Owen late for one of his shows. So, How did Owen do with that? Was he pretty anxious, or was he keeping keeping himself pretty calm? Oh, he was pretty calm. You know, he knew that he'd be late and he agreed to get behind the wheel and, and away we went. But but no, Owen was just one of the nicest, kindest people that I've ever met. You know, he, he was just always, he just spoke of Martha so often. He just longed to be home with her. And uh, he loved that woman like like no other. And whatever we've heard, you know, he definitely, definitely missed her. He was just, they were just dating at the time uh, because they got married in 89. So this was 85, 86 that, that we traveled together. Basically, anytime he'd be in town, he'd you know, catch a ride with me to shows. So, As often happens when there's a tragedy with Owen's death, for example, there's kind of misconceptions as to what his career was like. Some people said that he really didn't like wrestling. He always wanted to leave it. Other people said that he loved wrestling. Where would you say Owen sat on the pro wrestling scheme? You know, he never spoke about that. But I I strongly believe if there was something that was another career that really, truly called him, he would have definitely packed up the wrestling boots to, to pursue that just to be home. You know, I think when he was in the ring and, and performing... I'm sure he absolutely loved every moment of that. I think he loved the fans. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think family was very, very important. And uh, I was fortunate enough last summer to read a letter, and I, I have a copy of it. I was able to photograph it, a letter that he had written to his mom and dad. And this was during his time when he was in Japan. So it, there's no date on it. So I imagine it would have been mid-80s, probably maybe 87, 88. It's a, on a trip when he was in Japan, and he had written to his parents. And in that letter, it speaks volumes of missing home, missing them. I imagine missing Martha. This was, you know, before he had children of his own. So I think, I think if there was something else that would have provided the same money because, you know, when he was in WWE, obviously, he was probably making a lot of money. Uh, more than he would have been able to make, let's say, as a fireman. Because I do believe that was one of his interests. Or uh, as an educator, definitely, WWE was paying a whole lot more than that. Um, he would have probably pursued that, just to be home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I heard... yeah, sorry. Um, I heard reports that he wanted to be a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had heard that. And it seemed to me that I had heard also maybe a teacher, but I I can't confirm that. I'm not sure. Aren't they all teachers? Well, there's a few of them. Keith, Bruce, uh, Ross. Ah. They're all teachers. Keith isn't, is he? Who's that? Keith. Keith, yeah. Keith? Yeah, Keith. And, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, Keith was a teacher. He's retired now. He was a firefighter also. Oh, I know that. Yeah, but he definitely had an education degree. Right. So you know a lot of the hearts. Who was your favorite star to be around? Who was the one that you kind of saw yourself melding with the best? Oh, definitely Ross is the one that I've been closest to over the years. You know, I first met Ross in, I think, 1982 that I had gone to a show in Regina here and I had met him. And, you know, of course, we didn't become friends because I I was still a kid and I came, I went to the show and I had to go back home two and a half hours away. So it wasn't until 1985 that we we really matched. And to this day, he's one of my, my best friends. And yeah, like, I, mind you, like Ross is a good friend. Um, I know the sisters. I know Georgia is a lovely human being. I have a lot of contact with her. But no, it's, it's definitely a family who's near and dear to my heart. Bruce is a good friend also. You know, so I'm very fortunate that those who were larger than life on TV have become become real life friends. And it's something I certainly don't take for granted. So after some of the Stampede wrestlers left Stampede, so Owen went into a foray into the WWF at the time as Blue Blazer. Brett, of course, moved on. Uh, several Stampede wrestlers moved on in the mid-80s. Did you follow their careers when they were abroad, or did you stay largely with Stampede Wrestling? Very much with Stampede Wrestling. You know, if they'd be on TV and I was able to catch them, definitely I'd watch their matches, but it's not... The WWE, WWF was never something that I took a great, great interest in. I think more because I loved the live events. I loved, you know, I'd be first in line to enter the building so that I could have my ringside seat and feel like part of the action. While on TV, you you just didn't get that same feeling. So uh, when they moved on, I followed their careers, but more at a distance. She talked about being up close and personal. Do you have some good experiences or some good stories about times when you would interact with wrestlers, either in a good or a negative way? Um, never really in a negative way, because besides really knowing the the hearts and getting to know a few of them uh, in the eighties, like Owen, that was always such a, a positive time. Uh, although Bruce was my favorite, I. I'd never have anything else to do with him um, beyond the shows. Um, yeah, everybody was everybody was quite kind. You know, I I had a chance to meet the the faces and the heels. There's one that it was a little bit, I guess, of a negative experience, and that's uh, Dr. D. David Schultz. As you know, I. I've taken many, many photos, and I had also purchased photos from a photographer in uh, Winnipeg, and I had bought some of Dr. D, and he happened to be at one of the shows, so I had brought those pictures because my thing was having the photo and then getting it autographed, and so I went up to him before the show, and I asked him if he could autograph them, and he said, where did you get these? And I told him who had taken them. And so he autographed a couple, but he did keep a couple of them, went back to the dressing room. And it's because that photographer, Terrence, was his name, Matchluck, I do believe his last name, was there. 
and he was very angry with Terrence for having sold photos of him um, and roughed him up a little bit. I don't know exactly what went on, but I know that it definitely wasn't a very good situation. And since that time, well, even before, I've taken thousands and thousands of photos of wrestlers, pose, you know, ring shots, action shots, and I've never sold any because my fear is that a wrestler is going to come back on me and say, you know, how come you're selling pictures of me? So that's just something I've never done is sell any of my photos because of that situation. Wait, which photo, all the photos that you've took of the wrestlers, which one do you think is the most valuable? Oh, gosh. I'd say probably some, you know, I was fortunate to do a lot of the current WWE Stampede wrestlers like Natalia, Tyson Kidd, there is uh, Harry Smith, Apocalypse, um, Victor in WWE that I took photos of. The, their, a lot of their first promo picks, I took many of those. So maybe some of those, I don't know if any of them would be valuable. They're valuable to me, but you know, they're photos I've never sold if i took them and they were sold by the wrestlers or by the company i didn't profit from that um i do have some for example i have one of brett and dynamite kid that i took it was after i do believe a street fight and they're all bloodied and that one actually is going to be published in a book by an author in uh england who the the book is going to come out i think this summer so you know, some of them have been published, but I don't know if I'd say that they're valuable. Okay, how about, like, what I was trying to get at was the actual pre-89 Stampede wrestlers photographs. I'm not asking, like, the the spin-off ones like Natty and all those guys, because to me, though, I'm, I'm biased that way. I'm not. Those are just third generation people. They're totally different. To yeah. Me. Yeah. And see the one of Dynamite and Davey. That's one that, you know, to me, it's more valuable because I took it and it's a photo now that's being published. But yeah. I don't have any of that. Or are you talking about like the 8x10 promo picks that I, I would have? Or the oh. ones actually taken because i've got a huge collection of promo picks okay the one that i think that one of the most uh, favorite ones that i think is most valuable from regina is the kichi yamada okay yeah and i i have that okay and i did take a picture of kichi yamada and you know all those oh definitely yeah he was doing a double bicep pose you were the one that took that picture, right? I'd have to look back through all my photos because, honestly, I have so many. Um, but if it's a promo pic from that was sold, I didn't take any of those. Right. No, I don't think it was a promo. Okay. So it was one, just a, a small four-by-six photo. Yeah, i seen it somewhere online. Okay, and it could very well be that it's one of mine that I have in my albums. Yeah. yeah. So, Rachel, I think another person you're pretty close to related to Stampede Wrestling was Natty, Natty Neidhart. 
I believe yes. she um, even had you as part of a Calgary Sun column that she wrote years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, when Natty started, even before she started wrestling, um, my kids and I would head to Calgary probably three, four times a year. And during that time, of course, I'd I'd have the chance to go to the Hart House and Sunday dinners and that type of thing. And Natty was there. And then um, I was fortunate to to go to the dungeon many times when there was practice unfortunately she wasn't there on Sundays because she was working at Montana's but um, during that time she she started to get more involved in the wrestling so I did get to see for example her first match um, when even before she started wrestling when she was managing Bruce and uh, we just developed a friendship and during over the years when she moved on to WWE she just she, whether it's me or anyone else, she has never forgotten those who who were there, I guess, during the, the beginning of her career. And uh, a couple of years ago, we were her guests in Winnipeg. And my daughter and I were her guests at uh, one of the shows there. It would have been the, the Monday Night Raw. And uh, so we had ringside tickets. And then she, she took us out for dinner after the show. And and shortly after, she wrote a beautiful column in the, the Calgary Sun because she did a weekly column at that time. And, and part of it was our friendship. And so that that's probably one of the most special items I have hanging on my wall is the, the page from the, the Calgary Sun uh, speaking about that because it's very genuine. And of the, the many, many topics that she could write about, she had chosen that. So, yeah, definitely a very special column. But she's just one of the most beautiful human beings that there is out there, hands down. You, you should post uh, that on the Ring of Ding Dong Dandy Facebook group. Okay, you know what, I'll do that. Yeah, a lot of the fans would appreciate that. that okay. Anyways. Okay, I'll do that. So a lot of emotions about Stampede Wrestling. Now, I can kind of guess what you felt like when Stampede Wrestling shut down at the end of 1989, but can you tell us about how your own thoughts and emotions were at that time? Oh, it was it was so disappointing because wrestling was just uh, an emotional out from everything around you. You know, you could go there and we we speak of the wrestlers being in the ring and playing their roles, but you know what? As fans, we play a role, too, in the sense that we are not, when we're sitting there invested in that match, we're no longer just a person that we were walking into that building. And so it gives people a real out because you can you can be angry, you can be happy, and, you know, you're just cheering. It, it's just such an amazing feeling, and all of a sudden, it's gone. It's gone. And these people that... Even if those wrestling fans who don't know the wrestlers personally, which at that time I really didn't know a lot of them personally. I knew Ross because he had become we had become friends, but otherwise didn't really know any of them. But you feel like you know them. And all of a sudden, as a fan, that's gone. You know, so it was very disappointing. That, that routine, but, you know, it had already gone down from being weekly to every second week to not really knowing when it would come by. And, yeah, it just, I think a lot of fans were very disappointed during that time. 
Well, I was very disappointed, and actually, I still, even even yesterday and the day before, I still, when I put, I don't put music on. I put YouTube Stampede Wrestling shows on just to hear it. Yeah, well, you know, the just their entrance music is, it catches you. <laughs> it does something, and it brings back memories. It's amazing how whenever I listen to old Stampede Wrestling, even the voice of Ed Whalen just gives me a big dopamine rush. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and his catchphrases, and, you know, I still use, I teach, and um, if... To, or if a child is coming towards me and we just about bump and, you know, I'll say, oh, just about malfunction at the junction. You know, of course, they have no clue what I'm talking about. But still, those uh, catchphrases come in handy once in a while. Now, after Stampede stopped touring <clears throat> through Regina, did you go to any other events? <clears throat> I think WFWA kind of came into Regina for a little while uh, later in the 90s, hardcore wrestling. Did you have any involvement with those promotions? I didn't have any involvement with them at all. I didn't go to wrestling for, for many, many years um, until Stampede Wrestling really came back. And then I started, actually, I started working for, for the new Stampede Wrestling promotion. I, I was doing a lot of the, the work in Regina here. I did some postering, um, but I also, uh, I was the moderator of their website so, or of their message board uh, during that time. But as far as other promotions, I, I was never really interested. Once I finished with Stampede Wrestling from the 80s, I had no involvement until about 97 or so that I went back to, to my first Stampede Wrestling show, I think in Rockyford, Alberta, is where I had gone back to see the first one. Did you have any interactions with Bulldog Bob Brown? Nope. And I don't even remember seeing him wrestle. Oh, no. But, not no, li- not live. TV, of course, I, I did see him, but but no, I didn't. Now, you were I doing re- a lot of photography work with Stampede, even in the 90s. And um, I think you probably went to some of those shows. Did you attend some of the shows around Calgary, Alberta, the Rockyford Rodeo show at that time? Absolutely. You know, I any show that I ever went to, I had my camera in hand. But as far as actually working with Stampede Wrestling, doing some of the promo shots, that would have probably started in about 2000. So, and then and then I worked with a company here in Regina that uh, folded later on where I did their ringside photography. But with Stampede, I did a, a few shows. Actually, it was when... Uh, uh, Joe Daigo was going to be sending some of the boys, TJ Wilson, Harry, um, Teddy, over to Japan. Even Natty uh, was going to be going over. So then I was doing some of the ringside photography and even in the dungeon of TJ and Teddy uh, doing some training. And some of those photos were published in, in some Japanese publications. Um, so I did a lot of photography that way also with Stampede, but of course it was only maybe two, three times, four times a year that I'd go to Calgary. And in Regina, we always had Bob Leonard, so I never did any photography here for the company. It was always just for my own personal collection. Were you involved in any way of the Matt Rats promotion that ran in Calgary around that time? Not at all. Not at all. 
you know, of course, I'd see some of the Mat Rat wrestlers on the Stampede shows. But as far as the Mat Rat promotion or Mat Rat's promotion, I never had any involvement. Maddie, Harry, TJ, Teddy, they were all in Mat Rats. Absolutely. You know, that's where they all really got their beginning. Their beginnings were there. Now, my yeah. guess, Rachel, is you've been to the Hard House. And my uh, other guess is you probably have had dinner there. How was that? That was pretty amazing. You know, the first time I was invited, I do believe it was Georgia at one of the, the shows in Calgary, said, you know, you, you should come to for Sunday dinner. And I was taken aback. Like, this was going to be incredible. I was so nervous because I've always been a little bit more reserved and shy. And uh, so I had agreed only to find out that for di- the, the dinner meal for me had always been the lunch meal. However, Sunday dinner meal for the hearts is the evening meal. So I had to be back in Regina at work um, Monday morning. So when I found that out, I had to decline. I had to to say, no, I can't go. But subsequent times when I did go to Calgary, I, I had a chance to go to the Hart House several times for Sunday dinner. And I made sure I went, even if I had to drive home after, drive all night and then go to work after. I wasn't going to miss such a special time. And, and you know, I always seemed to be sitting right next to Helen. And I guess one of my greatest memories of her was, you know, the chatter around the table. But then all of a sudden she'd put her hand gently on my arm, look at me and just sigh, not say a word, but just a deep sigh. And when I'd look at the people sitting around the table, there were so many people who were not related to the Hart family, myself being one of them, you know? And I often, I've often thought like this poor woman always had her house invaded by so many people that she didn't really know because I was literally a stranger to her too, but she was so kind. And, and after dinner, you know, a lot of the family would get in the kitchen and wash the dishes. And, and then I'd always be asked to bring in my photo collection because for some reason I never traveled to Calgary without a laundry basket full of my photos. And so I'd be asked to bring it in, to bring them all in so that Stu could look through them. So as everything was going on in the kitchen, cleaning up and whatnot, Stu would be going through the albums and reminiscing about different wrestlers and different stories of them. And, you know, a lot of the others would look over his shoulder to see who he was looking at. And and so that was that was quite a memory with Stu also, you know, that he and it, it happened after every dinner. Can you bring your albums in so dad can look at them? So that was pretty special. How was Helen? How was Helen in terms of interactions? Was she more uh, sympathetic to the plight of the wrestlers? Or was she even at that time talking about leaving the business? What was what was your interaction with you at that time? You know, it was just when we were sitting next to each other at the dinner table. And there wasn't much chatter with her hey I was nervous I was quiet I wasn't (laughs) saying a whole lot but um like I said she she was quite quiet beside me but then she just put her hand on my arm and just just sigh and I think in those sighs it spoke volumes of 
when when will this kind of life end where there's just a brouhaha of people around and I don't know that she disliked that I don't think she disliked it at all but I'm looking at myself if it was my home and that I had you know 40 people around for Sunday dinner every weekend I don't know if I'd like that so much but of course I'm probably a very different person than Helen was I'm I'm just very quiet, a very solitary person. She didn't have that option. And there there were always so many unknown or strangers around, unknown people, because the door was always open to anyone. And and that's I have to admire her for for everything she she put up up with and went through because it's it's very well documented that that Helen really wanted out at times. Did Stu or Natty offer to take you down to the dungeon? No, but I had a chance to go to the dungeon. Well, no, not to, to be stretched here. There's no way that that was going to happen. <laughs> but I, I had the chance to attend several training sessions when Bruce and Ross were training and Tokyo Joe was training some of the guys. I have a lot of photos that I took in the dungeon. And, you know, I haven't seen a lot of other photos that have been taken in the dungeon besides the ones that I have. But, you know, there's... Um, there's a lot of the guys who who have made a fairly decent name for themselves in some of those photos from, oh gosh, Hotshot Johnny Devine to, to of course, any, the hearts, excluding Natty. I never did see her training, but uh, there's quite a few in there that, that to this day have, have made quite a life in wrestling for themselves. Red Thunder, do you remember him? From that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I did see him wrestle. I never saw him in the dungeon, though. Yeah, he's doing well. He's still, he's a firefighter, and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, well, it's not called Hobima anymore. It's called Muskawachi. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that it had changed names, but no, definitely yeah. right under very, very nice man. Yeah, Morris is a very good person. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, of course, lots of us have seen video and pictures of the dungeon, but I've heard that there's actually laundry machines down there and that the ceiling's only about six, six and a half feet high. Is that all true? I don't remember the washing machine, certainly not in the dungeon, because there were different areas, of course, in the, the basement. The dungeon was just a very small room. Basically, it was a ring mat that was wall to wall with a little bit of a sitting area and the, the People would sit on like the workbenches, all the heart weights on the wall. Um, so it was a very small room. I do remember seeing the the old treadmill that we've seen a few times, you know, the very archaic type treadmill. Um, across from the dungeon, there was another room. And that's where I took a lot of the photos of uh, Tokyo Joe training TJ and Teddy. And in there also, there was a huge safe that you know i've I've got pictures of everything because when the the house was sold ross had let me take photos of all the different rooms he had toured me throughout the whole house right to the top and and whatnot so i was able to 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 take photos of the different areas of the house and but the dungeon was just one very small room yes and the ceiling was very low i you know it was more than six feet or six and a half feet i say probably eight to ten feet but when you're suplexing a wrestler 
even eight feet is way too low. So uh, definitely the ceiling had been kicked in. And of course, all the pipes were were hanging across there. So it couldn't have been an easy place to train. You had to be careful. (laughs) Uh, Diana Diana Hart claims that she has the record for uh, being on that that treadmill downstairs there in the base in the dungeon. It could very well be. I don't know. I'm not sure. Now, General CJ, your good friend Kenny Johnson must have spent some time in the dungeon. Does he have any good stories that you recall? Kenny never really, really talked much about the dungeon. Actually, um, he knew, knew a few of the guys that were down there. There's some videos out there that that show. Uh, Stu uh, stretching a couple people, um, Chance Beckett being one of them, and you probably know Chance out on the West Coast there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never did. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I never Kenny did never Stu, Stu, uh, oh, yeah. one in the dungeon, but a couple of times when I was there, Stu did come down to watch the training. Which was nice to see also because he was still, he was, he was pretty up there in age at the time, but he would still come down and show interest in what was going on. So I never did see him stretching anyone, but he was definitely uh, watching the training. So Rachel, I think all of us look back on Stampede Wrestling and we kind of reminisce about what we missed. So for example, one of the very first TV shows I saw had Brett against Nick Bockwinkle back in 1982. And I would give a lot to go back in time and be able to see that. Was there any one match or any one angle or event that you look back on and you think, man, I wish I could have been there? You know, probably the angle where um, it was Archie Goldie and his son, that's, it was probably one of the most believable angles. And in my mind, I still have Archie standing in the ring being interviewed. I don't know. I don't know why that stands out because I don't necessarily remember what had happened to his son at the time. I don't remember seeing the match. But Yeah, they piled driver inside the ring. Okay, that interview was so powerful. And I think everybody was just really invested in that moment. So that would probably be one that I'd love to go back and actually watch. And that was very newsworthy. Um, that was very controversial at the time, right? That's when the uh, riot developed in Victoria Pavilion. Bad mm-hmm. News Allen accidentally injured a fan, I believe. They oh, got yeah. uh, removed from TV after that. They had to move out to uh, outside on a um, Sarsi reservation, I believe it was, mm-hmm. for a few weeks to film their TV. And their crowds that they were expecting to be massive didn't show up as a result of that. Yeah, no, and Ed Whalen... I, I think isn't that when he had also quit? It is, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and Ed Whalen, in his own right, was part of that show just as much as every wrestler in the ring was. Yeah. Okay. When Ed quit, when the stars began to reserve to do the shows. Now, do you remember the announcer on there, Eric Bishop? I'm not sure. You don't remember him at all? He had all those cool lines that he used to always say. 
No, I don't remember him. Was that maybe Medicur? Did they bring back Medicur after that? It wasn't Sam. It wasn't Sam Medicur. It was Bishop. Bishop. Hmm. Very, very occasionally. Like, that wasn't the first time that I'd heard him commentating a Stampede match. But, yeah, he was... He always had these corny lines. Yeah, and that was a little bit... I don't remember him. I remember Ed Whelan distinctly, of course, and Jim Davies. But to the others, I know that Sam Menneker was part of it, but I don't remember him. I, I couldn't comment on anything that he did or said. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like Sam Menneker. I liked Sam Menneker a lot. And why was that? I just like... I just like how he described the matches and, you know, to the to the fans and how he described the wrestlers. He never said anything bad or he always had a good description. Okay. I think that's true. I think that's true. He wasn't as emotionally invested as the product as Ed was. I think that's very true. Rachel, I remember that interview with Archie Goldie. That interview was riveting. It was uh, highly emotional. I found that Archie Goldie also had a tremendous way with interviews in Canada, and I was always kind of amazed at his American career, always developing without any kind of interview. He always had a mouthpiece there. Did you get to know Archie Goldie at all? Did you have any interactions with him? Not at all. Not at all. And um, I honestly don't remember if I ever saw him live. I don't believe I did. Did he scare you like he scared me? Well, I was just watching him on TV, so no, no, that was okay. But I'm sure if I had come face-to-face with him live or watching him in the ring live, he would have probably left me with a feeling a little like uh, Bad News Allen. Because Bad News Allen, I was scared of that man. I remember the interview he gave where he said that he was next going to go after Helen. And uh, a young Bret Hart was so scared at the time, he ran home and he hid. <laughs> the next day, yep. Archie Goldie showed up at his uh, door and sat down and had tea with Helen. Exactly. <laughs> I, I remember reading that. Was there any wrestler that you were truly terrified of? Was there anyone that really um, shook you to the bone? I'd have to say, like I just mentioned, Bad News Allen. Um, I was terrified of that man. And, you know, I I did gradually warm up to him where I was able to go ask him to take pictures. But, um, you know, I was never a partier. I went to the shows and basically left that behind when I left the building. There was the one time, however, that I did go to a bar with a friend of mine. And uh, lo and behold, here I am. I think I was 19 years old, 18, 19 and I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, Bad News Allen walks in, and I I couldn't believe it. You know, this beast that was in the ring is right there, and he comes and sits right beside me. Well, I'm, I'm sure I didn't say a word. I don't remember. I just remember being scared. And, of course, he was very soft-spoken and very kind, but there he was, this person that I feared at the show, sitting right next to me. And, it, again, it was during the time that I still believed what was going on in the room was real. So, so yeah, it was probably, that. that's probably my most vivid memory with the, any of the heels and, and being scared of any of them. 
was there any particular time that um, made you realize that kayfabe had shifted for you when it kind of became a realization as to what the industry was about? More when Stampede Wrestling came back, because there was a long period of time where I didn't have anything to do really with wrestling at all anymore. And then when I started working with the company, I, of course, I got to know a little bit of what was going on in the back and and whatnot. So that opened my eyes to everything. But, but you know, I never, even all the times I, I traveled with Owen, he never, we never discussed any of that. He never divulged any of the the wrestling secrets, if if you will, um, or Ross or anybody. I maybe it's just a part of me that wanted to believe because they did it so well, you know. And to this day, I think that's the the thing that's lacking the most with social media. Everybody knows everything, and the joys of being able to believe and being invested in that that was really exciting. Now you basically have to to kind of train your mind that, well, no, what's going on in there? He, he's not going to to come out completely battered and, and bruised, you know, to a, to a certain extent he will. But that what's going on in the ring is a story and it's not to kill each other. <laughs> now, I've seen some of your amazing photography. And I'm wondering about um, any interactions you would have had with Bob Leonard, who, of course, was kind of the photography man for Stampede Wrestling for so many years in the 80s and 70s, too. Oh, yeah. I absolutely loved Bob. Um, you know, from a very early age, when I went to my first show here, I think it was 82 in Regina, where I saw Bob. And, and of course, I already had my little 110 camera in hand and, I was seeing him at ringside and I thought he's the luckiest human being in the world getting to do what he was doing. He was right at ringside and, and taking these photos. And then gradually, um, again, it would have been in the, the 90s when the new Stampede Wrestling had come, uh, had started, that I got to know Bob. And uh, first I, I was helping a little bit with the promotion. I was putting up posters in Regina and I was going to Calgary and I was doing some photography there in Regina. I never did because Bob was still here at all the shows um, in Calgary. However, a lot of times Bob wasn't at the shows. So I, I got to do some of the photography there, but um, right to the end before Bob passed away, I, I knew him quite well and, and I had great respect for him. And I think he had a lot of respect for, for the work I was doing also, because I don't think I ever overstepped my boundaries also as a photographer. Um, I did my job and I left, you know, and I shared everything I, I took with the world. And, you know, those of you who belong to uh, the Ring Dong Dandy Facebook page uh, or who are friends with me know that I share my collection with everyone. So with Bob, it was that connection where... I loved the job he did. He did it with so much ease and grace. Um, he was kind and confident in what he was doing. And, and yeah, I just, I'm so blessed to have gotten to know Bob and I just had so much respect for him. General CJ, did you ever meet up with Bob Leonard? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, around, uh, 
Vance Nevada used to run shows here in uh, Red Deer. Uh, he brought in Bob as a ring announcer for one show. And I re- I was the referee for the whole show, and uh, it is on YouTube uh, where you can see Bob ring announcing. And uh, the one match with Vance, it was a dog collar chain match. Um, the Stormbringer had thrown me out of the ring like three times, and then the third time I landed on the I landed on the ring announcer's table with Bob sitting there, and he just kind of laughed. But yeah, um, we interacted in the back before the show and yeah, had a few stampede stories and stuff. And he talked about Stu and yeah, he really enjoyed the, he really enjoyed the stampede wrestling. Oh, definitely. And his voice, you know, honestly, he had just a perfect voice for the role he played. Was a good ring announcer. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, with Vance, he, he knows how to pick people for the business. Mm-hmm. Now, Rachel, as you brought up earlier in the podcast, one of the things that brings us to wrestling is often a family interaction. So somebody that watched us with us as a family member. So I want to go back and ask about your, your father. Did he go to events? Did he meet up with wrestlers? Did he have the same kind of interactions as you did? Oh, not at all. Not at all. You know, if he had a chance to go to a show once in a while when he'd come to Regina, he would definitely do that. But as far as interactions with any of them, I don't think he did. Now, of course, as I mentioned, you know, he was a fan of the the faces and he loved the hearts also. So when I was working with Stampede Wrestling in the the 2000s, early 2000s, when they'd come to Regina, um, I was working on the website and uh, often before the show, I'd have dinner with Bruce so we, we could catch up and I could get the matches for the the future shows because I'd post them on the website. And, and uh, one time I had asked him if it'd be possible for him to go meet my dad. Um, and I told him how much of a fan he was and said, sure, absolutely, because we were picking up my niece who also lived um, with my, my dad and mom once they had moved to Regina here. And so we did that and dad... He was probably about, I'd say, 88, 89 years old at the time, and he was blind, uh, could see shadows. And anyway, so we walked in, and I, I said, you know, Dad, I've got someone here who would like to meet you. And I said, Bruce Hart is here. Well, it was like um, one of the old grandpas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when they won the golden ticket. My dad bounced out of his chair it was as if he had just won the biggest prize and there was Bruce. And so I, I got it. I took a picture of them and dad, you know, just said, Oh, I thought your hair was blonde. And Bruce took his hat off because of course dad couldn't see that he even had a hat on. And, you know, so just a, a very small interaction. So a couple of years later, when dad was moved to the nursing home, he only brought a few pieces of clothing that he needed. He brought his crucifix and he brought his, uh, framed autographed picture of Bruce and him. So I've often said, you know, that he equated Bruce to having the crucifix of Christ on the wall there, that that's how important wrestling had been throughout his life. And, you know, <clears throat> it's not only for me, but my daughter, Nicole, has a, a love for professional wrestling like I've never seen. She could rival probably just about anyone 
with the history of wrestling and everything. She loves it even more than I ever have. But as a little girl in the nursing home again, she'd sit on my dad's bed and they'd watch wrestling together. Of course, not Stampede Wrestling at that time. But, you know, dad couldn't really see the TV, but they'd still watch it together because it was such a passion. And, and it just a, a beautiful gift that my dad passed on because uh, it has meant a lot to to us. That's such a great story. How about with your daughter? Does she have any particular wrestlers that she favors? Oh, Natalia. Natalia has been uh, literally a lifesaver for her. Um, just wrestling in general. My daughter went through incredibly bad times in in school starting you know early like grade four when you're a wrestling fan you're not just a normal person and you know I think a lot of wrestling fans have a kind of a weird side to them and I'm one of those too I'm, I'm a very different and unique individual my daughter is definitely one of those and she had a really hard time fitting in because of her love for wrestling and it took its toll on her but she never ever left wrestling it's what kept her sane she could leave school behind she'd come home and that's what she had and natty from from when nicole's a little girl she's got pictures of natty natty giving her much love and attention and to this day it's still like that like on her wall she has a ring worn outfit of natty's that natty gifted to her one of only two outfits that natty has ever given um and like a, an autographed photo of her and Tamina when they won the, the titles. And, you know, anytime Natty is around, we have a chance to see her. And Natty has literally played a huge role in saving her daughter's life. And for that, we can't thank her enough. And she's still standing by, by Nicole's side. So there's just so much love there for, for that woman. But, you know, like TJ Wilson is another one that, he means so much to to us. Every birthday, Nicole gets a message from him. Um, yeah, it's, they're just very special people in our lives, but especially for Nicole. It's great to have a hero like that. Natty's had such a long and distinguished WWE career. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. She, she's She's done very well for herself, but she has never forgotten her roots. And you know the person the person that she was the the good person she was is still that incredible person she is today any other last memories you'd like to leave with us um i don't know there's i if anyone is interested um i do have quite a few wrestling albums on uh my facebook page so Rachel Paulus Ling is what you'd have to look for. And they're open to the public. My page is closed, basically. It's for friends only. But I have opened those albums if anyone wants to have a look. It's not just Stampede Wrestling. It's uh, HIW also, whom I worked with here. Um, there's some from the Midget Wrestling Warriors, because I did work with them when they'd come through town. So you're more than welcome to, to look through them. Um, I also have many body press wrestling programs. I have a collection of over 900. Um, some of them are on Facebook also. Um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I try to share as much as I can. I don't sell anything. So if anyone's looking at buying 
different memorabilia that I have that's not up for sale. So, but um, the one thing that I wouldn't mind sharing just a few words from, and that is from a dear friend, and that was Owen, and referring back to the letter that I was able to, or I had a chance to read last summer that Georgia uh, Hart shared with me that uh, I think fans would like. And it just, just words that really show how Owen was and who he was. So um, just starts, dearest mom and dad. And a little bit further in the letter, it says, I felt I should tell you how good you've both been to me as parents and as friends. I'm fortunate to have such good parents who are always there to turn to. Thank you. And I hope I can raise my children to have as much respect and admiration for me as I do for you. And then uh, a little later on again, uh, what's hard because he's talking about being in Japan and the traveling is monotonous that he can't converse with the fans. You know, they want to talk to him and finally they resort to, okay, let's just take a picture. And then he says um, a little bit later on, what's hard is being away from home and adapting to new customs, cultures, and particularly the different food. I'd kill for some prime rib. I can't wait to get on the airplane with my earnings and know that I'm finally going home. And then at the end, he signs it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you both. Love, crazy baby Owen. <laughs> so it's a very, very special letter. And I'm, I feel so privileged to have it in hand that it was shared with me. And those are, are words that just, they ooze with love for his family and wanting to be home. I, I think that letter really summarizes Owen's personality too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, in it, it talks a little bit about having heard from um, WWF and that, uh, that they're showing some indication of interest and that he'll hear them out, but he's also not going to be their puppet. You know, so he does talk a little bit about them pursuing uh, him to to come work for them. So. General CJ, any final questions? Um, who is Rachel? Who would be your uh, uh, probably one of your favorite women wrestlers of all time? Not including Natty. Not including Natty. Oh boy, I don't know if I can really answer that. You know, because there's the old-time wrestlers. You know, I've had a chance to see Wendy Richter. Um, I think Rhonda Singh probably would bring up the most memories because, like Bad News Allen, she scared the crap out of me. And I never did get a picture of her, and I never did get an autograph from her because I, I feared her. And, and she was truly a beast in the ring. So... Probably, I'd have to say, maybe in a different way, she's my favorite because she is the one who who has left me with an impression. Whether it's good or bad, she left me with an impression of what she was doing was real. You know, Monster Ripper's legend in Japan and Puerto Rico is amazing. And you go back and watch her matches, they were far ahead of their time. I'm always a little bit upset that she never got more of a chance in Stampede. Yeah, well, I think also the problem was the the women's division 
was not developed like it is now. You know, now women are superstars. They're not divas anymore. Back in the day, it was kind of an added attraction. What about Devil Mami and Mika Kamatsu and Stampede? Uh, Casey Houston, Desiree Peterson. You know, I I remember seeing them, but no, I don't know if I I even saw them live. Oh. yeah, and you know, I I know I saw some when I was living in Quebec, and I have photos of not Wendy Richter, but I have photos of a couple others, and I, I their names are not coming back right now, but I didn't often see them. Once again, especially before I moved to Regina in 1985, and then I did also move to Quebec for one year of university, so I missed, you know, I missed a year's worth of of wrestling here. So I didn't see the women often. It's just that the monster woman, Rhonda Singh, really stands out in my mind, but more because of what I saw on TV and the couple of times I would have seen her here. Well, I have a good Rhonda Singh story. And uh, it was told by uh, Diamond Timothy Flowers. Um, Tim... Tim, Tim used to bring Rhonda into Vancouver for ICW. Well, this one, uh, this one show that he brought her in, uh, Rhonda and Jerry Morrow, Bad News Al, and Danny, and all those guys that used to come down from Calgary that were with Tim, they all stayed at the Clover Inn in Cloverdale. And, uh, of course, they'd have to go somewhere to eat. So, Rhonda... With her size, she didn't want to go very far, so she just ate at the, in the restaurant. Well, well, anyway, she ordered three dozen chicken wings, ate them all, and then uh, got the bill. Well, she says, well, I'm not paying the bill. Uh, Tim's paying the bill. <laughs> for three dozen chicken wings, so uh, poor Tim had to pay the bill. For Rhonda's three dozen chicken wings that she ate. Oh boy! <laughs> and yeah. uh, Kenny was pretty. Kenny was pretty good friends with Rhonda. He used to travel with Rhonda a lot, and, and Kenny used to talk really good things about Rhonda, how good of a person she was outside the ring. Yeah, and I don't know anything about her outside the ring. She was great to travel with and had good stories, especially Japan and Mexico. Eh? Well, she was she was well traveled, definitely. But uh, yeah, I I met I met uh, Wendy Richter and Lilani Kai in Red Deer back in the early eighties or when, whenever whenever they did whenever she did that angle with uh, J.R. Foley's son Athol Foley. Okay, and I, I saw her in Regina, too. I did photograph her. Now that yeah. you mentioned the name, I have photos of her. Yeah, yeah. And she's one of my all-time favorite women wrestlers, Wendy Richter. Okay. My present all-time woman wrestler that's active now is Giselle Shaw. Mm. And you know her from HIW. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had great respect for her did a lot of her her photos when she was here and I often told her you're going places because she had just the 
the ability, but the look, you know, she's got a, an exotic look. She, she just worked hard and just, and she, she, yeah, she's doing well now. And, and I'm sure that there's still a lot of room for her to move up. She was trained by Lance Storm. And it's, it's, it's funny that half of that women's roster and impact are all Lance Storm graduates. Well, Chelsea Green is another yeah. one. I had a chance to, to work with her here. Another lady I had a lot of respect for here. Much yeah. talent. And, mm-hmm. now, Lance Storm's involved with Impact Wrestling now, so there's a good there's a good relationship there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lance is involved now. So okay. He's going to... And uh, to me, I don't watch any of this wrestling, but I will watch Impact. I, I have no interest in WWE or AEW or any of these other promotions now. But I will watch Impact. Yeah, Just and now, I watch those that I know. Again, you know, yeah. WWE, I I want to catch the matches of those people that I know. Um, you know, it's unfortunate Apocalypse Victor is not there anymore. But uh, uh, the cool story with him is... A few years ago when he was wrestling in Saskatoon, uh, Nicole and I had gone up and uh, we had actually gone to the airport to say bye to Natty. And and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, here's Apocalypse or Victor walking towards us with his um, tag team partner. And all of a sudden, just a great big smile on his face. We hadn't seen each other in close to 20 years but he had recognized us and he just came up to us and gave us great big hugs. So his, his big uh, tag team partner there was probably wondering what in the heck is going on here. These two women randomly show up and you, you go hug them, but it was just so nice to see him. And that was always the feeling I had with the, the stampede wrestlers and in that era, you know, in the, the 2000s. So. Yeah. That 2000s, one other girl that I liked and she was one of Natty's, rivals was Belle Lovitz. Oh yes. She she was a she was talented. She she was very talented. I'm still friends with her through Facebook also, so I do follow her, but I don't think she has wrestled in many, many years. With McIntyre. There's another there's another good name back for Stamp I don't I can't remember if Velvet actually was in Stampede or not. Do you remember any of that, Corey? She was briefly, yeah. Briefly, right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of early to mid-80s. I remember she was there for some matches before she moved on to WWF. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, she was She was engaged to Mike Shaw at one time. And that's, that's true. <laughs> I believe she lives in Chilliwack now, but has uh, nothing to do with the business as far as I understand. No, no. She came down a couple times in ICW just to say hi, but she, yeah. Um uh like quite a few years ago icw was running and my wife and i went to the, the one show and it was um it was about uh what, what happened was is my wife went to use the bathroom well she heard these two women wrestlers in there they were talking about their match and it was velvet mcintyre and ronda singh <laughs> yeah so, Rachel, I want to thank you so much for checking in with us from the prairies. It's great to have a Regina contributor to the Ring a Ding Dong Dandy podcast. Well, thanks. It was great chatting with the two of you. And hopefully, I gave a little bit of insight to what it was a fan back then. And 
you know, some of it was exciting for me and some of it, I'm sure it wasn't all that exciting for, for others to listen, but I, I think it was great reminiscing and I thank the two of you. For listeners to the podcast, you can check in on Rachel's um, Facebook page. Can you give us that link again? Uh, well, if you look up Rachel Paulus, that's P-A-U-L-H-U-S, Ling, L-I-N-G, you should be able to find me. And also you're uploading some of your materials to Ring-A-Dong Dandy podcast um, Facebook page, correct? I do sometimes, yes. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much for checking in with us. You had some great stories. I'd love to hear about that Owen letter. That was fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely one of my treasures. I've got lots of them, but that's one of the most important ones. And thank you so much for spending a Sunday Sunday morning with us. We really appreciate it. Okay, you have a great rest of your day.